It's lovely to be with you this evening and to look together at God's Word. And so I wonder if you'd turn with me to Genesis chapter 40 and the reading uh, that was brought for us just a moment ago. Learning to wait for God's timing is one of the hardest things in the Christian life. We know that that God's ways are best, and we know that he sees our struggles in waiting. But it's still really hard to wait for the Lord. And it's hard because we live in a world where we're used to getting so many things rapidly. And if there is a delay, we're told why there's a delay. So if you've got an item coming in the post or through a delivery firm, you get a notification to say if it's going to be late. So we're not used to waiting, but if we have to wait, we're told why. But it's also hard because we can face some incredibly difficult and hard circumstances in our lives that can involve suffering and heartache. And in the midst of those things, It's especially hard to wait. Well, Genesis chapter 40 covers a period of time in Joseph's life when he has to wait for God's timing. Having resisted the temptation to sin with Potiphar's wife, he finds himself in prison where, humanly speaking, there is little hope that he is going to come out. One of the things that that Joseph's experience reminds us of is that the Lord doesn't promise that our lives will always be characterized by comfort and material blessing. And that there will be times when persecution comes because we stood for what was right and good. But let's not remember, let's not forget how difficult Joseph's situation is in Genesis chapter 40. And let's not forget how long he needs to wait for God's timing. We, we don't have an exactly exact time make marker for how long Joseph is in prison, but what we do know is that the period between him being sold as a slave by his brothers um, to the uh, traders who then sell him to Potiphar, from that point to the events of this chapter is 11 years. So he's either a slave or in prison for 11 years already. And it will be two further years before he comes out of prison. God continues to be at work in Joseph's life, such that the waiting isn't wasted time or lost time. Because God is working and developing Joseph's character and growing his trust in him. And so, in that sense, God has purpose in this waiting also. So what I'd like us to do this evening is is look together at Genesis chapter 40. And as believers who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, who want to live for God and for God's glory in every circumstance and in every moment, the big question I'd like us to ask about this chapter is... How can we wait well as Christians? How can we keep on trusting God in those long and sometimes hard seasons of waiting? And there are three things 
like us to see. And the first is that as we, we will wait well as we guard our hearts. We wait well as we guard our hearts. The devil loves to use times of waiting, particularly when we're experiencing suffering and hardship, to lead us into doubt and sin. And that is a great danger for Joseph at this point, because having refused to sin against God in chapter 39, that was his big concern, wasn't it? He said, how can I sin against God by doing this when Potiphar's wife asks him to sin? Having, having had that resolve to want to follow the Lord and obey the Lord, the outcome of his stand for what was right and good is that he, he faces further suffering in prison. And the great temptation that would have been there for Joseph, and I'm sure would be there for us, would have been to ask all kinds of questions about what God was doing. I wonder if you had been in Joseph's situation, what kind of things might have been going through your mind? Maybe we've been asking, Lord, why do you seem to not be watching over me? Lord, why did you allow this to happen to me when I was so concerned to live for what was good and godly and for you? Do you really care about me, Lord? Are you able to help me, Lord? But what is so striking in this very low moment in his life when it would have been so easy for the devil to have got a foothold in his heart... Joseph guards his heart from doubt and sin in two ways. He guards his heart, firstly, by not turning inward on himself. In in, in difficult and painful situations, particularly situations that can fill our minds right through the day, such that it's hard not to think about anything but them from dawn to dusk, and even they occupy our minds through the night, that the great danger is that we turn inward. But Joseph shows us that when we've brought those situations to the Lord and we've laid them before him, we need to be careful not to do that. One of the marks of Joseph's life, as you go through his story, is that everything he does Whatever he is given to do, he does it with faithfulness and with diligence. So that was how he lived in, in Potiphar's house when he was given responsibility. He was known for his, his good stewardship of his master's home. And then now when he's in prison, he is exactly the same. So at the end of chapter 39 in verses 22 and 23, we read that the warden put Joseph in charge of all those in the prison. He was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So God is with Joseph, granting him success in skill and in favour. But notice what that shows us about Joseph's character as he lives before the Lord in this circumstance in his life. He does not neglect what God has called him to do each day. And he resists the temptation to turn inwards, to lower his head. And through this time, Joseph grows in his sensitivity towards others. If we think back, if you know the story of of Joseph's life, in Genesis chapter 37, it begins with, with Joseph being given by the Lord two dreams about his future. And we have him there, as you might say, something of a 
a 17-year-old plucky young man who goes to his brothers and doesn't consider how these God-given dreams might be heard by his brothers and, and shares them insensitively with them. But then as we come to chapter 40 in verses 6 and 7, we read of his sensitivity towards others. He sees that the cupbearer and the baker are dejected one morning. They are sad, and so he seeks to ask them how he can help them. He had every reason to be discouraged, didn't he? And he could have walked around doing his business that he'd been given for the day with his head down. But he doesn't do that. He keeps his head up. He looks for how he can help others. He guards against turning inward. But also notice that he guards also, guarding his heart, second element of this first point, guarding his heart, he guards against resentment. The even bigger danger for Joseph and perhaps for us in times of waiting is that we become bitter and perhaps even resent God's timing and purposes for our lives. And that's a real struggle, isn't it? Particularly when something goes on for weeks and months and even years. The devil loves to tempt us in this way, but there is no sense here of resentment in Joseph's heart. When he explains how he came to be in prison in speaking with the cupbearer in verses 14 and 15, he certainly feels unjustly treated. And so he says uh, there in verse um, 14 and 15, I was forcibly carried off the land of the Hebrews. And even here I have done, sorry, from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I have done nothing to deserve being put into this dungeon. So he feels the injustice. But even in these circumstances where he can't see a just reason for his situation, he doesn't resent God's purposes. He keeps on trusting God and refuses to turn away from the Lord. We, we know that because of how he speaks in verse 8. When he hears about the dreams of the officials and he knows that they are discouraged and down and sad about them, having no one to interpret them, he declares in the second half of verse 8, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. Now those are not the words of, of someone who is who is resentful towards the Lord, are they? They're words of someone who has great settled confidence in God, even in this difficult circumstance. And in speaking this way, Joseph is very deliberately rejecting the Egyptian understanding of dreams. The Egyptians uh, took their dreams very seriously. They believed that their gods spoke to them through their dreams. And so interpreting dreams was so important to them that they had professional dream interpreters. You could go to a kind of dream interpretation university and you could be educated in how to, how to interpret dreams in that sense to this very high level because the Egyptians took these dreams very seriously. So, so in that context of how they understood their dreams and how you would find out the meaning of a dream, Joseph's words in the second half of verse 8 are very bold, aren't they? They're very bold because he's saying you don't need to go to a professional interpreter. The interpretation of your dream belongs to God. And he believes that God can give him the interpretation if they share the dreams with him. 
those are not the words of someone who is struggling with resentment, of someone who is turning from God. Joseph continues to cling to the Lord his God even after 11 years of waiting. It's hard, isn't it, to guard our hearts against this? Because in the midst of pain and tears and sorrow, when our hearts can feel so weak and the devil's lies can seem so true, now, the devil wants us to reason from our circumstances in the moment to what that means about the character of God. So he wants us to do. He wants us to say, look at your circumstances and reason from your circumstances what that means about God's character. But the Bible gives a different path. It calls us to reason from Scripture about the character of God. And then, knowing the character of God, to understand our circumstances in light of his character as we find it in his word. In that way, the Psalms present a wonderful pattern for us for how to do this. Psalm 130 or or Psalm 33 are some of the many Psalms that give us this pattern of how we wait for the Lord. Because in the Psalms, you have believers bringing their struggle with waiting before God, seeking God's help in prayer, and pleading with him on the basis of his character, on the basis of his faithfulness to his people, and then resting in the confidence that God knows what is best, and his ways are perfect. So we wait well, brothers and sisters, as we guard our hearts against turning inward and against resentment. But in order to wait well, secondly, we must not trust ultimately in people. Don't trust ultimately in people, our second point. Psalm 146, verses 3 and 5, reads as follows. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. Blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. The events of this chapter are a powerful illustration of why we should not put our ultimate trust in people, even if they are the most noble and honourable of princes. Because if anyone in all of Egypt is able to get Joseph out of prison, then it would be the cupbearer to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The man who was the the wise and trusted counsellor of the king of Egypt. But this man fails to help Joseph. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about a cupbearer and a baker. I think we probably think of... Servants who had a practical responsibility in Pharaoh's household, which was part of their role. But their role was bigger than that, because not only were they responsible for what Pharaoh would drink and eat, and particularly to make sure that Pharaoh wasn't poisoned, they were also trusted counsellors and advisors in the royal courts. So they're they're high-ranking civil servants. They're, They're more than perhaps their name initially might make us think. 
But both of these high-ranking civil servants had angered their master Pharaoh in some way. We're told that in verse 2. And they're there in, in, in the prison waiting to hear what Pharaoh was going to do with them. And so, when they dream their dreams, they are very anxious to know what they might mean. So having the offer to interpret the dream, the cupbearer, first of all, shares his dream with Joseph. And it involves, in verses 9 to 11, a restoration of his duties. He goes back to doing the things that he did before, preparing and providing the wine for Pharaoh. And it seems that this process that would take months or even years is contracted to just a few days. And Joseph interprets this dream, telling him that his head will be lifted up and he'll be restored to his previous status, serving his master in the royal court. So his dream is good news. And having heard the good news of the cupbearer, then the baker has confidence to share his dream as well. But his dream is somewhat different. It points to ongoing neglect of his duties. that The baked goods for which he was responsible were being eaten by birds from this basket that is on top of his head. And just as he did for the cupbearer, Joseph interprets the baker's dream, telling him that his head will be lifted up too, but then taken off his body and impaled upon a pole. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have found it fairly easy to share the meaning of the dream of the cupbearer. But it would have been harder with the baker, wouldn't it? Much harder. And just before we move on, I think we should notice the integrity of Joseph here in being willing to share the meaning of a dream revealed to him by the Lord, even when it isn't good news for the baker. And don't we need that same integrity as we seek to be faithful in in sharing a message when sometimes it can be hard for people to hear? But it is God's message and it is good news because it is from the Lord. But but jumping back to the cupbearer's dream, since it means that he is going to go back into Pharaoh's service in just a few days' time, Joseph asks that he might remember him and show him kindness, verse 14, when he comes up out of prison. It, It was customary that a dream interpreter would be given some financial reward for the work they'd done in interpreting the dream. But Joseph doesn't ask for money. He makes one reasonable request. Don't forget me here in prison. And surely we would think the cupbearer of all people could sympathize with Joseph's situation. He's experienced prison life. He's had this experience of not knowing if he would be free and what's going to happen to him. So how could he forget the one man who had told him the good news that in just three days he would be free and going back to serve Pharaoh again? But then as we drop down to verse 23, he does. And verse 23 emphasizes it for us, making the point both negatively and positively, just so that we see it, that that he is forgotten. We read, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And in those words we read, humanly speaking, 
Joseph's best chance of getting out of prison for getting him. But of course, as one commentator puts it, our world is full of forgetful cupbearers because our world is full of people like us. And in that sad way, and it is sad, isn't it? We have a striking illustration that we should not put our ultimate trust in people because they can forget us and they can let us down. But as Joseph waits and waits and slowly realizes what we read in verse 23, we learn that God has not forgotten Joseph. He remembers his people and he will, in just one chapter, but in two years' time, raise up Joseph's head as well. And that's exactly what happens in Genesis 41, but we're only looking at Genesis 40. So we'll stay in Genesis 40 and see the lesson there for us about the need not to put our ultimate trust in people. And that is a temptation, isn't it, brothers and sisters? It is a temptation because when we wait for the Lord and when we are tempted to look to others for our ultimate confidence for rescue, we need to be so careful that our ultimate hope isn't there. And it can't be there because ultimately there is no one who is strong enough. There is no one who is powerful enough. There is no one who is perfect enough. And there is no one who is good enough to give us the rock-solid foundation to live the life of faith, except the Lord our God. Do not put your trust, your ultimate trust in people. Instead, and here we come to our third point, keep trusting the Lord. Keep trusting the Lord. I asked that we would read from the end of chapter 39 before we moved into chapter 40 because... Those last three verses of chapter 39 don't just set the context. They give us the lens through which we are to read the whole of chapter 40. And the lens through which you're to read chapter 40 is in verse 21 of 39. So Genesis 39 verse 21 says, The Lord was with him, that's Joseph. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warder. So those verses, or that verse, verse 21, is the lens through which we are to read the whole of chapter 40. Because they tell us that God was with Joseph. They tell us that God was showing kindness to Joseph. And they tell us that God was granting Joseph favour. And so through all the hard providences of chapter 40... Joseph is learning to believe and trust in the truth of verse 21 of chapter 39. And there's no shortcut to that, is there? Learning that God never forgets his people. Learning that God is showing his kindness to us each and every day, even in the hardest of days, is something we come to know through experience. As we read it in the Bible and we hear it declared to us, we then must understand it and practice it through our daily walk of faith, where each day 
we choose to trust God by faith, to believe that he is good, to believe that he is sovereign, and to believe that by his providence he is working all things for our good and for his glory. God has not forgotten Joseph. And we need to see something of God's ongoing care for Joseph in chapter 40. And one of the wonderful things about the story of Joseph is that we know where it's going, don't we? Joseph lives this day by day and year by year, but, but we know the story and where it's all going. And knowing something of where the story is going and how God is working, we can see in, in a greater sense, having the fullness of the events recorded for us in God's perfect word, we can have that sense of and see in that greater sense how God is showing kindness to Joseph even in the false dawns of this chapter. So how is God remembering Joseph? How is God, how is God, uh, how is God um, keeping Joseph and sustaining him and remembering him? Well, God is remembering Joseph by bringing the two highest officials in Egypt, into the prison where Joseph was confined, where he has been given responsibility and freedom to be able to visit them and help them. Joseph could have been in a different prison, but he's in the prison with these two high officials from Pharaoh's court. God is remembering Joseph in giving these two officials dreams on the very same night. And giving them dreams when they're in a circumstance where they cannot visit their professional dream interpreters, so they must look for help elsewhere. And then when, when Joseph offers it, they will take it. God is with Joseph and remembering Joseph and enabling Joseph to interpret their dreams with total accuracy. He is with Joseph and remembering Joseph in giving Joseph courage and faithfulness to share the meaning of those dreams, even when they weren't easy to share. God is with Joseph and remembering Joseph, in therefore enabling Joseph to have a proven track record of both accuracy and faithfulness in how he interprets dreams. And that track record will be very important when it comes to Genesis 41. And Pharaoh has his dreams and the cutbearer thinks, who can I trust to bring before Pharaoh who has shown in his character and in his abilities and gifts to interpret dreams absolutely accurately? It's Joseph. God is with Joseph in restoring the cupbearer to Pharaoh's service. So that he can remember Joseph when Pharaoh has his dreams two years later. And God is with Joseph in keeping Joseph in prison. And therefore allowing him to continue to demonstrate his gifts of service and faithfulness. So that he can be lifted up at the right time to bring about God's rescue plan for Jacob's family. And preserve the lives of millions in Egypt. So friends, as we come to verse 23 at the end of chapter 40, it can seem like the lowest point in all of Joseph's life because his circumstances seem helpless and hopeless. The one man, 
who could have raised him up and got him out has forgotten him. But actually, the end of chapter 40 is the turning point in the story. It's the moment when things start to change because God is putting into motion the events that will lead to Joseph being raised up and used by the Lord for great good in Egypt. And that's what we need to see. Because if we see that and we see God work out his His promised faithfulness in the detail of Joseph's life, what does that do for us? It gives us confidence that we can trust that God is doing the same thing. That as we learn about his character in his word, and therefore we resolve what we know about his character, we read our circumstances in the light of his character. Now that's hard. And that's hard to keep trusting God when the night is long and when the tears are many. But this chapter is showing us that our God can use what seems like a lost opportunity, what feels like a huge disappointment, and even the failings of others and ourselves. He can use all of those things to fulfill his purposes in our lives. Trusting in God's providence is the big message of the whole life of Joseph. When the Puritans used to compare, used to to try and explain the providence of God, they used to compare it to the inner workings of a mechanical clock. So on the face of the clock, you see the hands moving round in a steady, predictable way. But then when you open up the inside and you look inside the clock, you see cogs and mechanisms that are moving in in opposite directions to the hands, that are moving faster or slower than the hands, that that don't seem to move at all. And if you are a master watchmaker, you can explain how all of those hidden movements of the mechanism drive the steady progress of the hands. And so it is with God's activity in our lives. At times, it can feel like things are going backwards. At times, it can feel like things aren't connected at all. But God is working. God is doing all things well. Because he is remembering his people. Remembering is the key word for the whole chapter. The cupbearer should remember, but forgets. And the Lord promises to remember and never forget. And friends, as we come to a close, how thankful we can be that living where we do in redemptive history, in the story of God's salvation, we have the great privilege of not just knowing how Joseph's story will work out, but we have the great privilege of being even more confident that our God will not forget us. Because our Saviour gave himself for us. And in doing that, in giving his self on the cross for our sins, he assured us that our Lord will never forsake his people. Because Christ has loved us with everlasting love. Because in the covenant sealed by his blood, that faithfulness of God and his love for us is made sure and certain.
And so how much more confidence can we have that as we wait and we wait for God, we can trust in God, knowing that he is sovereign, knowing that he is good, and knowing that he does all things well. So let us wait well by guarding our hearts. Let us wait well by not putting our ultimate trust in people. And let us wait well by keeping on trusting the Lord. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. Blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. Amen.